Ciao, paisans, and welcome to Where Should We Eat? I am your host, Jacqueline Marfuji Caprio, and you guys, literally today is like the Super Bowl of Where Should We Eat episodes. Um, and I hate to talk football because my guest is a huge Patriots fan, and that's just a sore subject. Um, but it is what it is, guys. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he literally, I feel like this is the most perfect podcast for you, so I'm just so excited to have you. Um, my guest is an Emmy-nominated director and executive producer of over 100 hours of food programming. His shows have been on Netflix, the Travel Channel, Discovery Plus, and the Food Network I'm sure there's many more. There's Fox. I mean, you've seen his work, Hell's Kitchen, Fresh Fried and Crispy, Restaurant Rivals, Fried America, Mystery Diet. I mean, the list just goes on and on. We're going to go through so much. But I have to say, my favorite credit of his is that he actually married an Italian from New Jersey. Um, and I feel like that is just, you, you killed it. Number one overall. Um, welcome to Where Should We Eat, Matthew Hoban. Thank you so much, Han. Uh, I'm just honored to be here. We go back so far that I won't say it because you still somehow look 20 years younger than I do. So I'm just <laughs> going to say we've known each other for a little while, but it is so great to talk to you about food, culture, and God knows what else we're going to get into. I mean, I feel like the timing of this was just so kismet because when I like launched the podcast, you were like, yes, I want to do it. That's awesome. And I was like, Okay, I want to wait until like it's it's a good time for you. And I feel like you are just coming off of going to the Emmys. So before we get into anything, I just want to know, can you tell the Paisans like what your experience was? It was for Fresh Fried and Crispy, which is a phenomenal show if you are not watching it on Netflix. <laughs> you need to immediately after you listen to this podcast, go listen or watch it. Yeah. So, um, I mean, first of all, fresh fried and crispy, it, it was such an amazing experience because it almost didn't happen. We literally started prepping that show, uh, in January of 2020 when the world just started getting weird, but we didn't know why the world was getting weird. And it was a traveling food show where we were going to go around the country to lots of little mom and pop restaurants and people's backyards. And, you know, we were really focused on, finding restaurants that you don't find on Yelp reviews. And it was an homage to decadent, fried, over-the-top, crazy shit that people are making in America that, like, you might see a picture on Instagram, but you're never going to find that restaurant in, like, a Thrillist or an Eater review. And Netflix was an amazing partner, and we'd been prepping the show for months, and we figured out our eight cities that we wanted to go to. And literally the week we were about to leave... Oh, sorry, the world's shutting down. Holy, okay. Uh, well, what do we do? And, uh, you know, we it was about two months that everybody was just kind of in a holding pattern. And we just had this amazing partner with Netflix. And they came to us and said, you know, we're dealing this with all of our shows. But you are a small show. It's a small team. It's one host. Can you figure out a way to get these you know, 12, 13, 14 people around the country and go still film at all these restaurants that we love and these mom and pop places that we want to feature. And the owners of the production company, uh, shout out to Ugly Brother, Tim and Mike Duffy, greatest name for a production company ever. They're identical twins. So Ugly <laughs> Brother is a perfect name. Um, and we just, you know, put on. Yeah. Oh, you know, Tim, don't you? You Do you know the Duffies? I, yeah. I was yeah. going to say, I, I, yeah. Um, so we hit the road summer of 2020. We went old school, no planes, no flying. We piled up a bunch of minivans and left Los Angeles and spent two and a half months driving all around America. Um, you know, had, you know, the protocols in place that we thought were safe at the time. We're able to get everybody home safe. We literally had to throw two cities out the window because it was like, oh, well, we can't drive to that city anymore. And we'd be in the car like, all right, well, this city's 10 hours from here. Um, find me four restaurants in the next two days because I'll be in that city in two days. It was old school, renegade, documentary style. I have no idea what I'm filming tomorrow television. And it was one of the best experiences of my life. Our host, the lovable, amazing Dame Drops, one of the best people I've ever worked with. I mean, just, can I just say, I could watch him just kiss food all day. <laughs> I did. 
I, I, I actually did. Um, but yeah, and then, you know, we got back and we spent, you know, you, what people don't realize is how many months you spend in post and editing these shows and crafting these shows. Cause you know, you, you shoot for maybe three days or four days to get 20 minutes. Um, and it, you know, it came out last summer. It's one of the funny things about the Emmys. It came out last summer. It did really well. The reception was great. And then, you know, it just kind of went away as many Netflix shows do. And then a couple months ago, they're like, you're up for four Emmys. And we're like, but we shot it two years ago and it aired. Okay. Um, and we were up for, my team was up for best editing, who were a bunch of rock stars. Uh, we were up for best sound design. Uh, Tim and myself were up for best directing and Dame was up for best host. And yes, last Saturday, my mother-in-law and I got to get all dressed up. Sadly, my wife was out of town. So of course we had to spoil mom. And we went to the Emmys and we had cocktails at the pre-party and we did the red carpet. And we actually got a good table. We like the days of our lives. People were right in front of us. So I was kind of like checking them out, which was fun. And oh it was God. just, again, didn't come home with any hardware, but just such an amazing night. It really is. You always hear it. You know, it's just an honor to be nominated, but it, it was just a life-changing night. And I would, you know, yes, I prefer to be holding a trophy right now, but I wouldn't change anything. And I'm just so proud of everybody that we got to work with because it was really hard. And it was before vaccines. It was before anything else. And like I said, we were literally, like, we were supposed to go to New Mexico. And, oh, we couldn't. All right, well, we're in Vegas. Where could, oh, we could go to Denver. Well, what's in Denver? And like, we're in the car, like calling restaurants being like, we'll be there in two days. What do you got that's deep fried and crazy? <laughs> okay, cool. We'll do that. Like, oh you know, oh, we can't go to, I, we were going to go to Austin, Texas. One of the best, uh, yeah. well, Texas is, can't go to Texas, right? Oh, let's go to St. Louis instead. And St. Louis ended up being one of our best, ep it ended up being the premiere episode. And literally St. Louis happened in the car driving like to St. Louis, like calling people being like, you know, it, we did like the Arancini Rice Falls. We did this um, deep fried veal parm with a deep fried green tomato on top of it thing that they just kind of created for us. Because I was like, no, I need more fried. I need more fried. And now like two years later, they're like, it's one of our best sellers. And like, we just kind of made that up. <laughs> and like, I'm like, great. it was delicious. I get it. Um, but we also, the, I think the thing we had so much fun with that show is figuring out how to shoot food differently. Because when yeah. we were shut down, we had time to think about it. And it was like how, you know, you see it on like gastronomy shows where you can make pots and pans out of glass and you can shoot beautiful stuff inside an oven. But we had to figure out how do you film inside a deep fryer? And I can't give away all my secrets, but we invented some cool shit. It's okay. <laughs> Safe space. Tell us. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> no, we, uh, we might we might have invented a ten gallon uh, deep fryer out of borsalite glass and airplane glue. I'll leave it at that. God, wow. Yeah. That's so cool. I feel like as a producer, because you're so accomplished and you've done so many of these shows, it has to be fun to kind of feel like you're just like guerrilla warfare like out there like i felt like you had to use a lot of different i don't know talents of yours to get these restaurants and to just pivot when things weren't going okay yeah well i mean uh you know i'll reveal the secret uh jackie and i went to college together and we're both uh theater people and she has since gone on to be far more talented because i learned at a young age i was a terrible terrible actor um, but I think, you know, and I don't know if you feel the same way in your amazing stand-up career that I've watched grown over the years, it's still fun to be scared. Yeah. And there's something about being terrified that breeds creativity. Um, and part of the reason why I love food shows is you don't know what's going to happen. Like, oh, they burnt, like they burned the chicken. That's now the story. Well, I thought the whole story was going to be about how the father and son don't really get along. Right. But the kitchen's on fire. That's the story now. And I, I love, I, you know, in, in the true essence of, of real reality television, which I hate using that term, I love never knowing what's going to happen next. And, and yeah. those are my favorite shows to work on. 
And, you know, it's the reason why my hair is so gray at a relatively young age. And I, I have a little bit of a drinking problem, but, you know, I just, it, I, I still love it. And I'm going to keep doing it till I don't love it anymore. Hey, you know what? At least you still have hair. That's, 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 <laughs> that's a win right so, there. The wig's working. Okay, cool. <laughs> yes. Um, I want to know, and I feel like everyone that watches these shows always wants to know, do you guys eat all the food? Like, is the host eating everything? Is the crew, like, chowing down? Are you gaining, like, 50 pounds every time you go through a season? How does that all work? So when you watch, like, I don't know, like, Planet Earth or something like that, and you see the lion get the kill... And then the 50 hyenas descend on what's left of it. That's the crew. <laughs> <laughs> that is us. Because whether, you know, for all the years I did Bizarre Foods with Andrew Zimmer and doing Fresh Ride and Crispy with Dame, you know, they have to eat a lot of food. And some of them are big boys, but, oh, I missed the shot. Can you eat that again? Oh, can we bring another burger out? Like the egg yolk didn't burst. And sometimes they just look at you like, dude, I've, I've eaten this like seven times. But as I'm soon as as soon as we yell cut, you see all the cameras go down, the audio goes down and all of us descend on what's left on the plates. Oh, my God. And yes, not- you almost always gain a lot of weight on these shows. That's OK. It's like happy weight. You lose it when you yeah. start working on it. It's fine. Well, then you come home and you sit and post for six months and that's when you lose the weight because you're just watching the food all day long while eating like a salad going, don't order mozzarella sticks. Don't order mozzarella sticks. (laughs) Oh, I'm such a dumpster fire. I came home the other night after like a night out and I made like I had like a kale salad. But then I just made mozzarella sticks and I like put them on top of the salad. season two i would feature that that sounds amazing (laughs) oh that's terrible no i love it though i love what you guys do again dame is amazing and i feel like anyone that hasn't watched it on netflix yet you need to watch it is there a season two coming up i'm (laughs) not currently i mean obviously we were kind of hopeful at the emmys that maybe some uh some awards would maybe push the envelope a little bit. I mean, obviously Netflix is um, going through some transitions right now. Um, We're hopeful. We're fingers crossed. It's the nature of our business. Sometimes they pick it up five minutes later. Sometimes they pick it up two years later. You never know. You just, you never know. know. What, do you have a favorite episode or a favorite like memory from that, that like everyone, like if you only have time to watch one, like do you have like a favorite city? Um, I, I mean, we were pretty spoiled in all of them, but Baltimore was, we started the episode with this lovely young gay black man called the blue bearded foodie who dyes his beard blue, big surprise. And we're eating like this giant colossal crab sandwich. And we finished the episode with this 80 year old woman named grandma Fadley, who's like the famous, uh, one of the original creators of Maryland crab cakes. And she's like pouring out white wine and posing like a gangster. And she's like swatting the camera away because she doesn't want us to see what's in the secret sauce. Um, It was just an homage to all Baltimore seafood decadence. Um, We also, it was one of our better episodes for just beauty and it's a visually stunning episode. Um, Cleveland getting to film at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame was pretty badass. Um, and like eating deep fried burnt ends, mac and cheese outside of the rock and roll hall of fame with one of the guitarists from warrant was like a weird childhood thing of mine. I was like, Hey, the guy from warrant owns a food truck. I have to put him on the show. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. Were a lot of the restaurants, were they like compliant with everything? Like, or were they like, Oh, you can't show this. Or like, was it pretty easy for everyone? I mean, it, the standard, almost every food show I've done, there's someone who goes, well, I can't tell you what the secret ingredient is. And we're all going, it's paprika, black pepper, and red chili flakes, <laughs> like, yeah. just because we've done it so many times. Um, but no, there, you know, especially during that time, you know, so many of these restaurants, they needed help. 
And that was the other thing I love about doing a lot of these shows. And again, it's the reason why I love to do shows where, yes, I want to eat in Michelin star restaurants. Yes, I want to meet world famous chefs and eat their uh, four star food. I love finding hole in the wall mom and pop places that them being on Netflix could have changed their lives. And for a lot of them, it did. Um, so yeah, if they don't want to tell me every secret ingredient or they want to have a little back to the camera moment where they're putting something else in there, I'm always willing to work with that because we're, here, we're guests in their home or they're, we're guests in their restaurant. Well, that's like one thing. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on because I love the show so much. And I feel like everyone that comes on, granted, we bond over like Carbone, Musso and Frank's, you know, Pizzana, like we bond over these like big name places that everyone knows about. But to highlight these mom and pop places, I feel like is so important because usually the food's better there. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I was, I've been listening to some of your other episodes as I was getting ready for this. And it was really funny because, uh, you know, I've been out here since 2005. I don't think I've been to 90% of the restaurants that you guys talk about. <laughs> And, you know, it was because I spent the first half of my time in L.A. living in the Valley and I was broke. And yeah. I now live in Playa del Rey. And when you live in Playa del Rey, you don't leave Playa del Rey. So it's like, wait, I have to go where? I don't need to go. I'll go to Inglewood. That's about as far as I'm going to go for a taco. <laughs> I love it. You need to go to Hilltop. There's um, the guys that own the parlor, where the sports mm -hmm. bar I worked at for a decade. Oh, I remember. <laughs> yeah which by the way if we if you had done an episode of mystery diners there we'd all be fired <laughs> immediately yeah yeah that's uh we actually the the first season of that show we had to do the whole thing in arizona um just because of the at, back at the time the hidden camera laws like we couldn't film in california because it's a two-party state oh. and you can't really do a hidden camera show if you have to get everyone to know ahead of time that they're on camera. So the first season of that show we did, we had to, we were all in, where were we? I don't even remember where the hell we were. Um, Cause it wasn't, it was like, it's like suburbs of Phoenix or something like, but yeah, that was a tough show. That was a really hard show because you know, as someone who works in a restaurant, if I move a plant three feet so I can hide a camera behind it, you're going to walk into work the next day and go, who moved that plant? Yeah. Like <laughs> the amount of times that someone in the kitchen would just start pulling a wire out of the ceiling. I'm like, Oh God, we're screwed. <laughs> no. Oh, well actually the parlor, we wouldn't have noticed cause we were all like blacked out most of the time. So. <laughs> well then you would have been perfect. Yeah, <laughs> it was great. Um, no, but that show definitely like scared the shit out of me. I was like, oh my God, no. Um, you mentioned Days of Our Lives at the Emmys before. I was watching your um, Private Chefs of Beverly Hills show. And that was my first I, food show. That was your first food show? Guys, that was my very first food show. Him. He looks like a proud dad right now, <laughs> like talking about it. <laughs> Oh, that was that's a great show. And I know Chef Brian and the episode where you guys are in Allison Sweeney's house. I used to spray tan her in her son's bathroom in that house. Oh, that's so funny. So Chef Manushka is still a dear friend of mine all these years later. She actually did private catering for my wife's 40th birthday party. And she was in Mexico. She was at uh, Food and Wine in Nayarit. Flew back from Mexico, got a car, came up to Malibu to the house I rented in Malibu and put out this New England meets New Jersey four star dinner. And like, I love her for the rest of my She actually, when we first brought Dame out to L.A. just to practice with him, uh, yeah. we went to her house and she cooked a traditional, um, you know, kind of Caribbean feast for Dame just so he could get used to. And, you know, it was just, we didn't have any cameras, any lights or anything. It was just so we, he could get used to me directing him and kind of knowing how to, to, to work and dance. And we shot that all in Manushka's kitchen. Oh my gosh. I love her for the rest of my life. She's amazing. Oh, well, I hope she listens to this. Shout out. <laughs> 
I feel like it's a different experience. Like that's such a cool show that you even had like celebrities letting you in and like just getting to see the chefs like stress out and like make stuff. Like I feel like that show should be on TV right now. It kind of is with like the Real Housewives, I feel like. (laughs) My my favorite one was the the late great meatloaf. Um, So we did a setup where I think it was Manushka and Stewart. And it was a whole rock and roll themed dinner party where I came up with the worst food puns I've ever, you know, it was like red hot chili and prosciutto wrap blind melon balls and like just terrible, terrible food puns. And he was the surprise guest because it was his actual birthday. And I knew his daughter. So she arranged everything and they didn't know who they were cooking for. And all like they just thought the menu was funny and goofy and he was supposed to come in and they had a couple different like little meatloaf samplers that, you know, we wanted him to try. And that's that was the bit. That was the gag. And he comes in and he's just big and over the top. And he just looks and he goes, I want Fleetwood macaroni and cheese. And we all went, shit. Why didn't we think of that? That is the best food pun. That's really good. They're, the chefs really were like, good. I don't have pasta. He, and I'm just like, we're screwed. Like, <laughs> But he, I'm, I've actually done three shows with Meatloaf. Again, God rest him. I, yeah. I've had a weird Meatloaf crossover in my career. And just every like five years, I'd end up on a show where he was like a guest for something. Um, <laughs> but his daughters were always amazing. But yeah, that was uh, definitely filming Meatloaf eating Meatloaf was oh. a uh, sentence I never thought I'd say in my life. Absolutely not. Now, you grew up in New England. So I didn't even I okay, guys, I sent Matt some of I usually call you Hoban. It's like weird for me to even use your first name. Um, Everybody still calls me Hoban, including my wife. So don't worry about it. Okay, cool. It was even weird to hear you call me Jackie because like, (laughs) I mean, just people from college, my family and Tommy call me Jackie. And that's about it. Um, Everyone else is Jacqueline or dumpster fire um (laughs) i (laughs) i i want to know i didn't even send you these questions but like you're from new england and i know we have a few listeners that grew up in rhode island shout out lara um i want to know like where should people go in rhode island for like the best lobster roll for like the best rhode island food yeah it, it is you know we are the smallest state with the biggest arrogance and uh you know i've been blessed to be all over the place and i'm still just so passionate about rhode island food and i was actually just home two weekends ago uh, i got to meet my goddaughter for the first time she was born during the pandemic so i got to go home and see my family um but i will fight anybody seafood italian food and in a weird way we have a really and it's not real chinese food it's the bad east coast deep fried chinese food but those are the three things that whenever i go home to rhode island i make a beeline for um my absolute love aunt carrie's seafood near where we went to college down in narragansett it's been there for like a hundred years um i every time i go home i go to aunt carrie's their clam cakes and chowder their lobster getting a pound of steamers never put an r in steamers their steamers (laughs) Um, there's a place near where I grew up that, uh, is now open called Tommy's that I've now been to the last two times I've gone home. Their lobster roll is incredible. I know. I saw you post that and I was like, why don't I know about this? Like, yeah. And it it used to be like a Carvel ice cream store. Like, and it just happens to be near where my cousin lives. And I was driving by, I was like, Oh, let me go check that out. And it's like, you know, huge lobster roll. They actually put it on a pretzel bun, which I thought was a unique twist because you usually don't get them. It's either cheap hot dog buns or sometimes potato rolls. And I felt like it worked really well on a pretzel hot dog roll. Um, And then if you go up to the the hill, I mean, Camille's, all the old Italian places, like... Federal Hill for those not from there. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. No, 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 no. (laughs) But I, I mean, it's, it. it's hard. It's hard for me not to try to find time to get back up to Federal Hill when I go home because it's the, it's the same as I remember it when I was 10 years old. It hasn't changed at all. I mean, I feel like Rhode Island is just such a gem of a state and it doesn't get enough credit. People don't even know it's a state half the time when I tell them. Oh, yeah. They think we're part of Long Island. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Or just like an extension of Boston, like a Boston suburb. 
Um, yeah. And then the one other shout out, do, I, you might, I know I'm, 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 I was what, two or three, never mind, no ages. I know I'm a little older than you. There was a guy we went to college with named Perry Rasso. Okay. Um, who he, he, I forget what fraternity he was in. Great circle guy, nice guy. Uh, he now runs the man, uh, he basically created it, but, uh, the Mantucket oyster bar. He was like an oceanography major and he started actually doing oyster beds in South County. And he made so much money selling the oysters. He was able to open a restaurant. And now I think he has like two or three restaurants. And I just remember him from like the guy in college doing like keg stands at Fisot. <laughs> and like, and like, yes, his, wait, I know who you're talking about. Yes. What? Yeah. He's like a multimillionaire oyster distributor now. That's wow. I think I might've dated him. Um, <laughs> I'm like, wait, I think I went to like a formal with him. Um, wow. Um, guys. Oh, it's all coming out now. It's all coming out now. <laughs> oh my God. Good for him. Good for him. <laughs> I'm going to say right now, I haven't met him yet, but I already love Tommy more. You don't want to be a millionaire oyster distributor's wife. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds terrible. It doesn't even fit on a business card. <laughs> yes. I don't like oysters, so it would never work out. Um, <laughs> I don't. we got to get you and Tommy together. Um, I have to know because I haven't been back to Rhode Island since the year after I graduated. I need to know, is the muse still there? Is Black Point still there? Is the Coast Guard House still there? And is Deepy Doe still there? Uh, we, I believe we are three out of four. I haven't, uh, Coast Guard House is definitely still there because I think I just saw like my cousin at his high school graduation party there. And I was like, oh, I remember that. Uh, I believe the Muse is still going strong. DP Doe is definitely still going strong. Um, but I'm pretty sure Black Point got like bulldozed and turned into like condos near the water. Got it. Cool, cool. Good to know. But they used to get shut down all the time for us drinking underage there anyway. So the fact that they even stayed open that long. I know. It's insane. Insane. Um, Amazing. I want to know. So how did you evolve into this like food show producer? Because I feel like I never would have been like, oh, Hoban, that's what you're going to do when you move to L.A. Like, how did this all evolve? I mean, I, I would agree with that assessment of I never would have thought it would have happened either. Um, yeah. You know, when I, when I first started working in TV, I very much had the same approach that I think we all had in theater, which was learn everything because you just want to be a part of the process. And, you know, now years later, anybody I work, whether you're a productionist, like learn about cameras, learn about audio, learn about lighting. So when I first started and certainly when I first moved out here, I was taking every job I could get, but my resume made no sense. Like, you know, one day I'm working on the ultimate fighter, watching people beat the hell out of each other. Then I'm doing super nanny, watching little kids cry and their moms like beg, like, how do I make my kids stop, you know, breaking the TV with a golf club? Um, and, you know, I did private chefs of Beverly Hills was a great experience, but I was just kind of taking the jobs as they came. And there was never really a, connective tissue to one job to the next. I was just trying to build my way up. Um, yeah. And then I was very lucky that a friend of mine got me an interview with Hell's Kitchen. And if there are two people that I can honestly say changed not only my career, but my life and the way I think about food and travel and everything. First, it was Gordon Ramsay. And then it was Andrew Zimmern. Because when I got to Hell's Kitchen, I was Late 20s, I was arrogant, but I had no self-confidence. I was faking it till I make it like we all do in L.A. And then all of a sudden, I'm part of the biggest machine in food television. And if you can't keep up, you're gone. And I did season nine and it was, it, I mean, we were living there. Like, I, you know, you'd, you'd work like 18, 20 hours a day, go sleep on a couch in the production office for a couple hours and then go wake the cast up at four o'clock in the morning with a bullhorn. So you could fuck with them for the next prank or something like that. And it was just a month straight of just, and it was amazing. Cause it was like, you know, most shows I'd worked on was maybe 10, 15, 20 people on the crew. This was over a hundred people all working together as this well-oiled machine. And I was one of the senior creative producers on that show, and there, which meant every four episodes, 
I was in charge of all the creative of that episode. Mm-hmm. And watching Gordon as the character and then Gordon as the human and Gordon as the producer, I realized like, if you have your shit together and you bring your A game every day, this is the greatest job in the world. Like there's it, the hours don't matter. The, 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 the time you're putting in doesn't matter because when you came in and you succeeded and you pulled something off and you're exhausted at the end of that day, or you got the sound bite that like, you know, this chef won't talk to anybody, but I fully told, I used to she- sneak the chef's cigarettes all the time. I'd get the best interviews. You know, Elise hates everybody. Elise, what? Well, I like Matt. Tell you what, let Matt do my interview because I don't like that other producer. And then, like 20 minutes later, I'm throwing her a couple like camels or something like that. And she'd give me the sound bite that she wouldn't give to anybody else or tell me some outrageous story. Um, and then I went on the road and did Kitchen Nightmares, which was a very different beast because it was, you know, Hell's Kitchen is this amazing competition show and it's 100% real, but it's in a giant studio and stage and all of this stuff. Kitchen Nightmares, we were traveling around the country looking for real families that were about to lose their restaurants. And, you know, I was the first person in the door. I'm the person that they need to trust so they could tell their story. And so I could also make sure Gordon was properly prepared so when he came in, he could find out the because at the end of the day, yeah, the yelling and the, the you know that's all part of entertainment and television. But he really truly wanted to help people. And it, Super Nanny Joe Frost, I also had that same experience with her, where it was like, you know, they want to make a great TV show, but there were times that they were like, I don't give a shit about the TV show. Go away. I need to. I, it's my job to help these people. Um, and that was when I really fell in love with food and it changed my trajectory. It's how I got my first agent. It's how I started climbing farther in my career faster than I expected. Um, and then I got bizarre foods with Andrew and I spent almost five years. I I would still be doing that show for the rest of my life. Like bizarre foods. I got to go all over the world and yes, I've eaten brains and testicles and eyeballs and I've eaten all the crazy shit, but that show was never about that. It was about what you think is weird is normal to someone else. And you have a grandma and I have a grandma and like, you know, we both grew up in Italian homes. So something like a blood sausage or capicol or mortadelle, like things like that might be normal to us, but someone from the Midwest is like, ew, blood sausage. I would never eat that. But then you go halfway around the world And they think processed cheese is disgusting. And why would you eat that? But they're cooking up raccoon or or squirrel. (laughs) And I just, the more time I spent on that show and the more episodes, and again, I worked on it for over four years. um, It just made me fall in love with how important food is to connect people. Because at the end of the day, you may think it's gross or, or you... If you close your eyes and pretend you don't know what it is because they just told you what it was, nine times out of ten, it's delicious. Mm-hmm. And again, I ate all the shit he ate. As soon as we were done filming, I'm pushing. Yeah, I'll eat the black bear's heart. Yeah, I'll eat the marmot or whatever that thing was. Because how could I not? Like, I'm never not going to, you know, Amalfi Coast. Like, I'm sure you've heard of Coltora. I went to a place where they make Coltora. It's the worst smelling thing in the world but as soon as you pour a little of that on pasta it's the best pasta you'll ever eat in your life and it's essentially just rotting fermented anchovy juice so i don't know who came up with that idea but (laughs) i and by the way it sells for like 80 dollars for something smaller than a perfume bottle and it's delicious on everything so it's just it just it changed my way that i looked at the world And certainly like when we talk about restaurants and whether I'm in LA or whether I'm traveling, um, I look for the, (laughs) and you know, I'm certainly not, uh, in shape, but at least I'm a big guy. So at being six, two, two I don't worry about getting robbed or mugged necessarily like someone like yourself or someone else would. But when I see like the weird little shack at the end of the road that Mm -hmm. has smoke billowing out of the ceiling, I know that's going to be better food than like going to senior frogs right off the boat on the cruise ship. 100%. And that's, we have a trip to Italy and Ireland coming up 
And I feel like amazing. Yay. I've never been to either. Um, so, so where are you going? Uh, we're going to Dublin and then Kilkey, um, Ireland, and then Italy. We are going to Milan and then we're staying in Rapallo, but we're doing Portofino, Santa Margarita, uh, Cinque Terre. Amazing. Oddly enough, some of the best Chinese food I've ever had in my life was in Dublin. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say that. And I don't understand. What? I, I went to, it was when my wife and I first started dating. And I, it was, I think it was after too many glasses of wine. Uh, Mumford and Son and Edward Sharp were playing in Dublin's version of Central Park. Are you and it was like an all day music festival. And she, it was like in a couple of, and she was like, why don't we go? And I was like, cause what? No, we're not going to Ireland. And she's like, fuck it. Let's just go. And this is part of the reason why I fell in love with my wife. Cause she's even crazier than I am. <laughs> so next thing I know we're take like on a, like, cause we had, we were working. So we're taking like a Thursday night, red eye to Dublin, getting in Friday afternoon, answering emails. So it seems like we're still at the office. Yeah. Uh, anyone who I used to work for, you didn't hear that part. Um, <laughs> we went to the all day festival on Saturday. It was an amazing music festival. Like there were like 12 bands. Mumford and Son was unbelievable. Edward Sharp. And then we just woke up real hungover on Sunday and we're just kind of wandering around. And we found this little Chinatown that was like three blocks off the main drag of uh, Dublin, and I'm, I'm blanking on the name. And we just had this incredible, and yes, hangover lunch, obviously. But like, it was just delicious Chinese food, saved us from the headache. And then we hauled ass to the airport so we could get back to LA to go to work on Monday. Oh my God. That's yeah. That We've is. done that a couple times. I went to a Giants game in London at, on a Friday and was back in work by Monday morning. When they played the Rams that year a couple years ago. I don't think I've ever been more jealous of you. You have no idea. Um, I have a lot of airline miles, but my Amex is also overextended. So, <laughs> Wait, so um, I want to get that. Oh, my God. I feel like this needs to be like a four-part episode because I feel like there's <laughs> so many goddamn things I want to talk to you about. Um, I do. I, I don't want to forget. I want to ask you about Restaurant Rivals. Um. Because, I mean, John Taffer, I could watch him for hours and hours and hours. I don't know as much about Chef Irvine. I'm sure he's lovely and all of that. Can you tell us about that show for anyone that hasn't seen it and what the experience was like working on that? So I will lead with that is the only food show I've ever worked on where I lost weight. Um, It was the craziest. So that show... John and Robert are, are are dear friends in real life and they're on different networks and they often don't get to work together much unless it's like charity events or things that aren't televised. And Chef Irvine is very much, and I don't want to speak for him, but you know, he is a chef. He is, if the food is amazing and the restaurant's running properly, the people will love it. And yeah. John is much more of a front of house experienced guy. He knows food real well, but he's he's not going to get in the kitchen and cook. So the concept of the show was, who's right? So what we did, it was a three-episode competition. It was a best out of three. We picked two restaurants that were in close proximity to each other. Um, Day one, they both went to the first restaurant, had lunch, tried all the food, met the staff. Then they went to the second restaurant, did the same thing. And then literally, because this was all real, until they flipped a coin at 6 o'clock at night, that first night, and that coin hit the ground... John didn't know which restaurant he was getting, and Robert didn't know which restaurant he was getting. And then they both had one day to do everything you would normally see in a show in like a week. We're talking rip out the furniture, paint, redo the entire menu, redesign the bar, bring in a mixologist, retrain the staff. And both of them had that one day and we actually like blacked out all the windows. They weren't allowed to go like, like sneak a peek and see what the other, cause they were just so serious about kicking each other's butts, which was part of what was so much fun about the show. But yeah. me as the director and executive producer, I'm constantly running across the street. Like, Hey, we're about to shoot this thing with John. So I'd sprint across the street. I'd be over there for like 20 minutes and like, Hey, Robert's about to do this thing. So I'd run back across this. It's the only show I've ever worked on where I don't think I ate one 
I don't think I tried one thing. And then on the third day, you know, they would both have their final prep with their restaurant and kind of have that good feel good meeting, like, you know, win or lose, you guys worked your butts off, be proud. We'd reveal all the changes that we made to the restaurant aesthetically and visually. And then we took a group of patrons that had never been to either restaurant. They'd have lunch at the first restaurant. Then we'd give them, you know, they'd fill out comment cards on uh, taste, atmosphere, cocktails, service, overall experience. And then we'd go let them digest for a little bit because we didn't want to kill them. And then we'd take them to the second restaurant and they'd have dinner at the second restaurant. Same thing, fill out the comment cards. And then at the end of the night, I'd give John and Robert their scores, which they never knew. And live on camera, they'd rip it open and like, Oh, you beat me by this. Oh, I beat you by this. And it was, you know, again, it was a best out of three competition. We shot it all here in L.A. Um, It was insane because it was basically I was filming two TV shows at the same time in three days per episode. But I had an amazing crew. I had an amazing team. We uh, We shot the first episode in Whittier. Second episode was in East L.A. And then the third episode we shot in the Valley. The restaurants were all incredible. The people were just absolutely amazing they every one of them i want to win i'm gonna kick taffer's butt no we're gonna kick irvine's ass like it was just it was it was so much fun it was just crazy like when it was all done i was like did what just happened like it was kind of yeah and then you know it was like we so that premiered uh i think in mid-march and it's still one of the top shows on Discovery Plus, like three months later, like people just love it. And they're clamoring for more episodes. I'm hoping next year we get to do more episodes. Yeah, uh, John and Robert were amazing. They were just like, both of them were just so amazing to work with. Is John as intense in real life as he comes off on TV? <laughs> um, yeah. It is thing. If you don't know who John Taffer is, he's like the host of Bar Rescue. And now hopefully you know who I'm talking about. I, as you know, I've always found slightly inappropriate ways to make friends with people. And so when I first started talking to John, um, as you know, I'm adopted, Uh, you know, grew up in Rhode Island, but I've never found my birth parents. Mm -hmm. And he had mentioned that he owned a bar in Rhode Island in the late 1970s. And um, then I just stood next to him and realized we're pretty much the exact same height. We have the same chin. Um, We're both big boys. Um, Our mutual friend, Dan DeCunha, actually did a split side by side of the two of us standing back to back. Um, So for the whole rest of the season, I just kept teasing John that he's actually my illegitimate father and owes me like 40 years of birthday cards and Christmas presents. And just, it was, it just became this on running gag that just grew bigger and bigger. And, um, but yeah, I mean, he is certainly intense, but it's all comes from a place of love. Like he really does want to help every place that he, and same thing with Chef Irvine, every place he wants to go into, like it's tough love, but their goal. And again, they're also people that every once in a while, they're like, get the fucking cameras out of here. Like tv show be damned like we i want to talk to this person i want to help this person like we need to like i i don't care about your interview right now i need the carpenter to use the buzz saw and and, you know you can get your audio in five minutes (laughs) god it's so cool Um, but yeah uh for the record i think john taffer is my father <laughs> Dropping here first. You heard it here. Um, I also have to note, guys, he is Matthew Matt Hoban is drinking tequila out of a Jersey Shore glass. Um No. <laughs> he is. It had to be said. I I respect it. I respect it a lot. I'll be hopefully at the Jersey Shore at one point this summer. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Well, my, my wife might be filming there again, so be sure to say that. I know. Wait, so I want to know, can you tell the Paisans what it's like having, like, two producers in the house? Like, how do you juggle, like, traveling and, like, are you guys competing production-wise? I mean, it's it's tough. I think that part of the reason why we work so well together is what we b- both do in, in this uh, crazy business is very different. Um, my wife is, uh, very much the business side of television. So whether it's payroll schedules, 
booking hotels, flights, managing a hundred people and making sure that everybody is where they are, where they need to be. My job is very much creatively based where, you know, I'm the one directing the talent. I'm the one directing the cameras. I'm the one making sure we're getting all our story points that we talked about ahead of time or, you know, making sure we got all the shots of every piece of the cheeseburger being assembled. So yeah. it's very rare. We actually complement each other very well because we do very different things. Like I remember when we were planning our wedding, like I felt like I was the bride because I was like, well, I want to do this, this and this. She's like, we don't have the money for that. We're doing this. Uh, okay. I mean, the travel part's hard. Like, you know, we're both on the road a lot. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we and you know, I, I like to joke sometimes we've been married for seven years together for two. Um, but you know, it definitely on the benefit of we haven't driven each other nuts yet after all of these years. And when we do see each other, it's always amazing. And you know, she's in Jersey a lot, she's in Miami, she's the queen of Miami at this point. And I love anytime I get to go down there and visit her in Miami. And again, we collect a lot of airline miles, so when we do get to see each other, we can go on adventures. Um, I love that. I feel like the key to any happy relationship is to be apart um, and come back together. <laughs> You're not wrong. But like I said, I've got the mother-in-law right down the street. So like, I'm still buying drinks, spending money and taking someone to the Emmys from the family. I mean, what, what a goddamn class act. Um, okay. <laughs> I have to ask you now. I can't believe I've waited. We're 46 minutes in. I will let you go because you have an epic taco Tuesday night that you have to get to. Um, I Okay, we're going to rapid fire go through questions. First of all. Go for it. Hoban, where should we eat? Like, what's it, like your number one spot that you are like, this is the spot? So, um, I would go, uh, I, I'm going to waffle and pick three over one because they're very different from each other, but my three favorite regions of the world that I've ever eaten in where you can go to a nice restaurant or literally into someone's house, um, Southern Thailand, just because I really love spicy food. Um, and just the freshest fish, the freshest seafood, the most delicious noodles, plus everything costs like a quarter. So you get a lot of money for, you get a lot of bang for your buck. Uh, Northern Spain, uh, Galicia in Northern Spain. Um, it's just this amazing combination of French, Portuguese, Italian, just all kind of in this beautiful region and everything is local. And then the Amalfi Coast. Uh, it's, 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 it's hard to be, and obviously I'm biased, but it's hard to beat the Amalfi Coast. Do you have a favorite spot there? Um, I mean, Sor Sorrentino was definitely amazing. Positano was amazing. But we went to this little town called Ravello. And there's this old woman named Mama Agata who's had a cooking school there for years. She used to cook for Kennedy back in the 60s. Um, her daughter and son-in-law now kind of run the cooking school. But, like, you'll go in there, you'll see famous actors, sports athletes, performer presidents and she's still there tiny little italian grandma I'm like like one of you I, like she, the best meatball i ever had in my life was her meatball and like she gave signed a copy of her cookbook and taught me how to make it and i never made it halfway as good as it and i follow the stupid fucking recipe but like it's <laughs> it, it just it was the greatest meatball i ever had in my life and it's just this little hillside town it's near positano you would never know it's there unless you had a producer that's job is to find the stuff like that for you. Um, so, but yeah, I ask you like, as a producer, like, how do you find all these places? Like what, what's your like go-to first thing, not to give away all your secrets, but like, no, honestly, it's a, it's a, a having a great team, you know, like I, I, I don't find 80% of these places, 90%. I approve. Like, I have a team of people, segment producers, associate producers, they're scouring the internet, they're, you know, reaching out. Certainly, it's easier in the United States, because like, like, you know, when we were talking about Fresh Fried and Crispy, our Cleveland episode, one of my producers grew up in Cleveland. And he literally just went, we're going here, 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 and here. And I went, okay. <laughs> like, 
And by the way, he was right about every single place. They were all amazing. And they were places that he loved when he was a kid that were still there. Our St. Louis episode was kind of the same thing. It was what like, I oh, I grew up, there's actually a federal hill in St. Louis. It was like I was back in Providence. <gasps> like it was the same. And I, I never knew that existed. Um, internationally, it really, it's, it, it's um, we call them fixers. Uh, in the business. Um, but they're, they're literally people who live in these countries who generally, um, either will work for film commissions or film boards, um, you know, are bilingual. And, um, you know, like if, if I said, Hey, we're going to be in Guatemala next month, they'll go driving around for two or three weeks looking for all these places and taking pictures and sending us emails and saying, you know, whatever casting for, oh, well, this person doesn't speak English, but they make the best oxtails on the island. Like, we'll translate. We'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and it's especially, you know, with international travel, it's it, it's about finding, like, for instance, in the Amalfi Coast, there's this brilliant, her Katie Parla, write her down. She's won a bunch of awards. She lives in Rome writes a lot of food blogs and books. We hired her as our local translator and probably 70% of the places we went to on the Amalfi coast was just because Katie said, we're going here next. She took me to a pizza place that was in a bowling alley. And I was like, really, this is my first night in Sorrento. And she's like, this is the best pizza in Sorrento. And it was in the back of a bowling alley. It was possibly the best pizza I've ever had in my life. <laughs> I love that. And that's why I feel like you have to, if you're a restaurant, you have to like show love to the patrons that come back a lot, you know, yeah. like your regulars, because that's, you never know. You could end up on a show that you produce on Netflix. Um, so yeah, it is about the mom and pop places. Cause I feel like that's what people remember. Um, do you have a food flex or a favorite dish you've either ordered somewhere or a dish that you make that you can give us hot tips on? Um, I'm certainly, and I, I give my brother-in-law credit cause he's much better at cooking. Um, I am a foie gras junkie and I know that oh. will get me in trouble with PETA. Um, and it's legal here in California again. Um, but uh, there's just, I, I, whether I get it at a restaurant, whether I cook it, whether my brother-in-law who's much better at cooking it than I am. And I think he just got here. So you he can probably hear me saying that, um, uh, seared frog with some sort of like a, like a raspberry compote or some sort of acidity to balance it out and then put it on like, uh, the, my favorite thing we make is we do, um, a sesame bok choy. And then we put the foie gras on the bok choy and then we top it with the either raspberry or pomegranate compote. That's the bougie stuff. Now, if we're just going ghetto fun, yeah. give, give me like some bone marrow, give me like some pork belly. And okay, just... that's not ghetto. That's still bougie. <laughs> no, but think about it. It is now. That's not <laughs> the food people were eating a couple of years ago. Nobody ate offal. No one like, you know, people are always like, ew, you ate brains and you ate this. And that, like those foods are bizarrely becoming trendy now. Six years ago when I was eating like, you know, liver or kidneys or testicles and everyone's like, oh, my God, how do you eat that stuff? Now I see it at fine dining restaurants. And I'm like, I ate that in a barn in Oklahoma and it was way better than this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my God. I, you know, what's funny. I saw that you wrote that you'll try anything once. I feel like you should say you'll try anything twice because you might not like it the first time. I, I would, there have been two or three things that I don't think I will ever, <laughs> ever try again. Testicles. Yeah. In Guatemala, it was an eyeball testicle and calf brain ceviche. So they were all not only, gross they were raw and oh just God. soaked in onions and tomatoes and a lot of lime juice um oh God. it wasn't my favorite um spleen i've had spleen a couple times there's really no good way to cook that it just tastes like sand it's it will tough. always taste like sand um, I, when we were on our like military tour we went to portugal and i i forget what part of portugal it was but we were all really hungover this one day and they made us like get up early 
and go and it was like winding roads like up a mountain and we had to go just what you want to be at that time just what you want to be and we had to go and it was this lovely it was some holiday it was a portuguese holiday and they literally like brought us out back and they showed us like these vats of just kind of like bone broth and like all that stuff. And we were like, okay, like we could get down with that. And then they sit us down with like everyone local from the town and they just start bringing out platters of every part of the calf, like animal, Mm -hmm. like the cow. And it was brains, spleen, like all of it. And I, I just remember sitting there just being like, like it was, and I didn't want to be disrespectful. So I would like force feed myself and just, uh, it was so bad. There was like sweetbreads. It was, oh my God, it was so bad. It was so bad. Yeah. Oh, just- you should be so happy I wasn't there. I don't know if I would have pushed you out of the way or just started like spoon feeding you because almost everything you just said there sounds delicious to me. I the know. sweetbreads are unbelievable. We would have been a team. We would, yeah. I would have given you all that. Been, this is so good. I, and I just I, I'm the dog under the table that you're yes. sitting with scraps to. So it looks like you cleaned your plate. Oh my God. I didn't want to be disrespectful because I was so, they were so nice and it was so sweet, but it was so yeah. gross. Oh my I had God. That in, uh, I was in Okinawa, which that was one of the most life changing trips I ever went on. And we went for the, the poisonous puffer fish. Um, you know, the fish that kills you if it's not made perfectly. And it was this beautiful, you know, we went out on these boats and we went spear fishing. And uh, well, not me personally, I just sat in the fucking boat and told them to film the guy spear fishing. Um, but they got two of the puffer fish and they brought them back. And it was this, you know, very older gentleman, tiny little uh, Japanese man. And he's just cutting up the poisonous puffer fish and he's got the liver, which is the part that kills you. And he's just with a very fine knife and we film Andrew eating it. And he's like, does anyone else want to try it? And I was like, I, I don't know if I, uh, you know what? If I die, there's worse ways to go. All right, I'll try it. Yeah. And then he took the rest of the puffer fish and made this delicious like fish stew with it. Um, and then the very next day we're, we're at a different place where a little old woman is making a poisonous sea snake stew. And she's like, and I'm just like, why is everyone like Okinawa? Everybody here is a hundred years old. Like there are more hundred year old people in this little Island than the rest of the world. It's the healthiest place in the world. Why are you all eating poisonous animals? And they're all like four foot seven. Like everybody's kitchen is either lowered so far to the ground or they have little step stools. But (laughs) it was Okinawa was just that one was amazing. But the one that almost killed me was uh, Senegal. I was in Senegal, West Africa. And A, we almost died on the boat because we went fishing and a squall came in and the boat started to. And these were like hundred year old like you know these were not boats these were logs that people sat in and then we came back and they made this very traditional rice and fish dish and the dish was actually delicious but there was this little what looked just like a pepper in the corner and i'd seen some other people and they'd kind of squeezed the pepper and i i like spicy food and for whatever stupid reason i just bit the pepper and I lost all control. I was crying. My nose was running. My whole face went numb. I start like I thought I was going to throw up. And like you know, we're in we're in a, a village. There's no like bathroom. There's no hotel. There's no air conditioning. It's also a hundred degrees in West Africa. And I'm just like hiding behind like the, the pass van, like trying to get some air conditioning on me. And for like an hour, I couldn't make this pain go away. No matter how much water I drank, no matter. And they're like, the locals are all like trying to apologize and they're trying to get me to eat some kind of fruit. And I'm like, no, I'm not like, like, it was, it was, and my crew made fun of me for like a week for that one. As they should. As they as should. They should. As that's they should. As they should. That's a bad acid trip. Like, <laughs> the fact that that occurred because of a pepper. Oh my God. Wow. Thoughts and prayers. Um, yeah. Okay. I, I feel like there's so many more questions, but I'm going to, I'll cut to. Um, okay. Do you have um, an embarrassing moment in a restaurant? Actually, I don't want to ask that. Um, who are your dream dinner guests? Who are you going to have dinner with? Dead, that alive. One's... It's a tough one. 
Yeah, that's, I, I mean, I will say I, I never got to meet Anthony Bourdain, um, but I've worked with so many people that loved him so much. And I know that's an easy answer and it almost feels like a cop out, but like that would be an honor. Um, it's, I was trying to think about this and come up with something, certainly not the Mel Gibson version, but like, remember watching like Braveheart where they did that giant feast where there were like 37 animals that you don't recognize. And there was all this, like, I don't know what, whether it needs to be Edward Longshanks or William, I, I don't know what old English or Scottish noble I need to make friends with to get invited to that dinner. But I think I'd like to go to that dinner. That dinner looked pretty cool. Um, Chef Morimoto, like I'd love to see, I'd love to watch Chef Morimoto in person do his thing. Um, and then, I don't know, maybe Gandhi, because I know I'll get to bring home the seconds. Like I don't see him taking a doggy bag. <laughs> Is that what that was? Edit that out. That one's bad. No, Sorry. That was no one has ever said Gandhi. I love it. No. Go to dinner with someone you know doesn't eat so you can eat. Hey, yeah, I'm bringing, <laughs> hey, hon, I'm bringing home leftovers. He didn't eat anything. Yeah. Shocking. Oh, I love that. I feel like the the Braveheart dinner plus Bourdain, Gandhi, and all of that, it's kind of like your Lambda-like dinners. Oh, Jesus. They <laughs> <laughs> just throw, like, Genghis Khan in there, and then I think we've got everybody we need. Yeah. No. Well, I love that. Hopefully, I'm, I'm sad that you didn't invite Tiffany and I to that, but whatever. Son of a um, <laughs> God damn it. Um, and yeah, I feel like we answered mostly all the best of questions like throughout the episode. So the last part I want to ask you, because tips are appreciated here at Understood. Where We Eat, um, and we trust your tips. Uh, do you have any tips for anyone, whether it be on how to become like a producer or like about food, like anything you want to just end on and put out there? I just, um, and, and I certainly feel like I've rung the bell a few times, but I, I, travel is transformative. Um, and I, it's changed my life more than anything else. And, uh, you know, I grew up in a small town. My parents were poor. I never thought I'd even get to leave my neighborhood. And certainly because of my career, I've been blessed to go to some pretty crazy places. But I think, and, you know, now that we're hopefully coming out of two very hard years, um, I just wish people would have more faith in travel because it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have what, like when I first moved to LA and I didn't have a penny, I would drive down to Mexico all the time just because I wanted like, Hey, we're only three hours away from Rosarito or we could go to Baja Malibu. And I'd get in the car with three friends and usually make sure at least one could speak Spanish because my Spanish is terrible. But like, I would have these amazing weekends and like, you know, even before I moved out here, like I would road trip all the time. Like, you know, you don't have to go to a foreign country to experience foreign culture. Sometimes you just need to go to another neighborhood. I was listening to one of your other uh, podcasts earlier today, and it was something the gentleman that said that I really liked was that there's so many cultures in Los Angeles and it's why this should be appreciated so much as a food city. Mm -hmm. But like, even I'm guilty of it. I love living in Playa. I need to get my ass to San Gabriel Valley because the Chinese food in Playa sucks. Like there's no good pizza in my neighborhood, but like I can take you to the best sushi place that forget Nozawa, forget sugar, sugarfish. I will take you to a hole in the wall sushi place that will blow your mind. That's walking distance from my house. And I think we all get very comfortable with our little five mile radius and I'm guilty of it too, but I just think there's nothing more important than travel and food is just an extension of travel and being able to sit with people and eat with people and shut the fuck up about politics or religion or all that other stuff. Just have a couple drinks and have a good meal and learn about somebody else's culture while teaching them about yours. You'll go home happier. You'll go home smarter and you'll never know who 10 years later, 20 years later, you'll still be friends with. I love that. I like don't even want to interject because I feel like that was so beautiful. And that's the whole point of where should we eat podcast? You're going to be our new trailer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I mean, that's the whole point of like the point of going out to eat or going to someone's home. Obviously 
this isn't just about like going to like cool restaurants. It's about like sharing a meal with someone because I feel like that's where you let your guard down. That's where you can have fun and relate to someone and learn about things and disagree on stuff and come back around. And I don't know. I feel like there's a reason why people, when they start relationships, they go on dates and they eat food together because you have to like see how someone like is in that environment. So I, I mean, if I could have a mantra, it would be, you'll learn more at the dinner table than anywhere else. Oh my God. Yes. Uh, I mean, uh, yes. Well, that's going to be a quote. Um, <laughs> that's a quote of the episode. Matt, thank you so much for doing this. I feel like we just need to have you on as like a correspondent, like all the time. Um, I don't want to keep you from your Taco Tuesday, but pimp your shows out, pimp yourself out, tell people where they can find you if they have any questions or anything. Yeah, I can't tell you anything about it now, but I'm pr- proud to say I just uh, booked a new gig. I start next week and uh, it will be airing, I think, next February on Tubi, if I can pull it off in time. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yes, Tubi. Indeed. We like Tubi. I have movies on Tubi. We're, we're big Tubi fans. <laughs> Excellent. Yes. And shout out to anyone listening that went to University of Rhode Island with us. We're both very sorry. Um, <laughs> for different reasons but we do owe a lot of apologies to a lot of people <laughs> but also very grateful so I hope you guys enjoyed this um, thank you so much for being here you're the best I'm so proud of you like seriously so proud of you keep killing it keep doing big things and I know you're going to win that Emmy someday and guys Thank you, guys. Paisans, thank you. Uh, Thank you for listening, subscribing, rating, reviewing, and please share with your friends. Um, I have a bunch of shows coming up on the East Coast and something brewing that I can't tell you about now, but hopefully I can tell you about soon. Uh, So check out my Instagram at JacquelineMarFuji because that's where I list all my dates. Um, And I hope you all have a magical week. uh, And grazie and ciao.